passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors is everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. From superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED lights, and more, whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Rewind the dynamite from the most recent sight. AEW, lighting up the fuse. Sit back and enjoy the bubbly. As we hear from John and Waiting. Where we're going, we don't need roads. And if the bug stops here, this thing might blow. Everything you hear, opinions of the show. And if you don't like it, go to the forums and let them know. Everybody and welcome to Rewind to Dynamite 200. Yes, it is. I would think so. I hope I figure. Oh God! Let's have it here one more time. You figure I've done this for 200 times. I would, no, I would no, know 200 how to turn that editions. <laughs> 200 Wednesdays, and here we are. What did you think about the nostalgia feel that AEW tried to pull off tonight? Because I, I appreciated a lot of what they were doing tonight. But at the same time, I was like, 2019 doesn't feel that long ago. And it's already like, uh, I guess in some ways it's an eternity ago. But nonetheless. Well, I I mean, I think you have to make a big deal out of every round number. You know, every, if, if you're a wrestling promotion, your goal is to try to make every episode feel special. And when you have a legitimate, you know, re- nice big number that you could celebrate, the, the I'm sound- not criticizing doing something. And I, I quite enjoyed the show. I'm just stating, like, if you felt like th- there's like a nostalgia that AEW has been able to create in four years. I think so. Yeah. Four years is, is a long time. And, and like in that time, a lot has happened. Um, there have been, you know, like certainly in the highlight package, I think seeing, you know, like a, like a Brody, you know, Lee or even seeing that, know, that the, package was great. The Jay Briscoe tribute, you know, you're, you're just kind of brought back to a lot of memories that, you know, in some ways weren't that long ago, but in other ways feel like it's, it was a long time ago. I'll also say like maybe the nostalgia of seeing the set wasn't necessarily so nostalgic because I don't think it's been that long since they've changed. Nonetheless, um, it was real, a really nice touch and I hope it's something I hope they continue to do for like 300 and 400 and so on. We have a lot to get into. It was an incredibly busy day and it's going to be a busy weekend. One of the crazier ones of the year as we are going into SummerSlam weekend. Wanted to, uh, off the top, mentioned that this month on the Post Wrestling Cafe, we are continuing to uh, pump out a ton of uh, great shows. If you've been following along, uh, some great coverage of the G1 from uh, all of our team members, including Eric Marcotte and Davey Portman today. And then we are going to have uh, more G1 coverage this coming weekend with WH Park and Karen Peterson. But if you are a Cafe member, you will be getting myself and Way for double the pleasure tonight as we will be sticking around for the double header i was just uh hearing there the double the pleasure i don't know if that's the tagline you and i should be going with but nonetheless we will be chatting about bash at the beach 2000 tonight on the post wrestling cafe this was definitely a more light edition 
of Dark Side of the Ring, but completely infuriating at the same time. So we will be talking about that and WCW in the year 2000. And God, what, what better things to pair together than WCW in that specific year? No, a few things about the year 2000, I think, are as um, revisited as WCW. So I look forward to talking about it with you later. So that's coming up tonight. And then Friday, late Friday, early Saturday, Wade and I will be putting out a show. We're not going to be reviewing SmackDown because we will be off to Detroit and we are going to be going to the Game Changer Wrestling Show on Friday night. So uh, we will be doing our regular Friday night show uh, covering our, our trip because we have quite a lot planned on Friday and uh, teeing everyone up for SummerSlam on Saturday. Maybe we can go through the card on that show as well. Way and I will also have a review of SummerSlam late Saturday night. That will be free for everyone. We've got Collision Course with Kate and special guest Nate Milton. And then uh, we also want to mention that not to be lost in the shuffle is the latest Rewind Away that is going to be coming out Thursday evening with Neil Flanagan joining myself and Way. And we are going to be talking about Vince McMahon, June of 2004, where Vince McMahon stated, I'm the luckiest man in the world. I have nothing to complain about. And we will go revisit this interview from 19 years ago with Michael Landsberg, a two-parter, and all the different topics covered uh, on this particular edition of Off the Record. So that's coming up. We have a lot of great stuff planned this month. It's a great time to jump onto the cafe. $6 a month gets you access to all of these bonus shows and more. We will have coverage of the G1 right up until the end and perhaps a an edition of talk that will be coming out uh, in the coming weeks, more rewind aways and uh, tons of great stuff on the cafe. Yes, very likely join on and get ready for all the fun. Are you ready for this trip on? I guess not re- tomorrow. No, I'm not ready at all. Actually, Nor am I. Um, it's just, I'm trying to keep up with even just the day. So, well, let's get into some of the news items. We're not going to go too deep into the uh, the, the quarterly report because uh, Brandon Thurston and I did a show earlier today uh, discussing a lot of the financials, but suffice to say, very lucrative. This company is uh, doing just fine. Uh, $410.3 million in net revenue and just over $52 million in net income for the quarter. And um, they went through the, their guidance. They are maintaining at the, at the same rate that they had projected earlier this year. And I mean, the earnings call, it was with analysts, a lot of it was concerning the media rights deals and when when to expect the announcements to, to come, how the NBA plays a factor in all of that, if the WGA and writer um, actor strike plays any role in any of this at all. And it was Nikon largely just stating the fact that, listen, we believe we have a tremendous product. The television numbers that they outlined for Raw, SmackDown, and NXT are tremendous and the the question will be like what the market is and nikon certainly suggests like there is a robust market for us out there not just for ron smackdown but nxt as well but what was to me and i think everyone would agree the biggest news to come out of this morning was a paragraph or i should say a set of paragraphs in the 10q filing that read on july 17th 2023 federal law enforcement agents now, when you see those words together, never a good good news. That whenever your federal law enforcement agents called us up to just say, you know what, we're big fans of the bloodline. That's not happening. So federal law enforcement agents executed a search warrant and served a federal grand jury subpoena 
on Mr. McMahon. No charges have been brought in these investigations. The company has received voluntary and compulsory legal demands for documents, including from federal law enforcement and regulatory agencies concerning the investigation and related subject matters. Now, in an email that was sent out to people in the company and uh, CNBC also had this statement, probably others too, uh, Vince McMahon stated in 2022, WWE formed a special committee to review allegations of misconduct against me. That review was concluded in November of 2022 following an extensive investigation. Throughout this experience, I have always denied any intentional wrongdoing and continue to do so. I am confident that the government's investigation will be resolved without any findings of wrongdoing. I'm focused on completing the recovery process from my recent spinal surgery and on closing our transaction with Endeavor, which will create one of the preeminent global sports and entertainment brands, with WWE adding the following comment, we believe this is a continuation of the investigation that commenced last summer. WWE has cooperated throughout and fully understands and respects the government's need for a complete process. And added to that was Nick Khan confirming the recent spinal surgery that Vince McMahon underwent, and he is on a medical leave of absence from the company. So a lot to digest there, but certainly that to me was the by leaps and bounds, the the biggest takeaway from this morning's news, the fact that there is, in fact, a a grand jury investigation into Vince McMahon and what that materialize into materializes into or or does not. But the fact that that exists and that there was a subpoena involved, it certainly adds to the uh, severity in, involved in this and the, the fact that the, the Vince McMahon controversy is not in the past tense. No, it it still seems it it's very much in play, and um, you know, one has to wonder if it'll have any effect on his um, ability to contribute creatively to the show. Do you think it'll have any effect on this deal that is already in place with Endeavor? I don't think it's going to have any impact on the uh, on the merger completing. It sounds like they have run into no regulatory pushback it seems like it has been, they noted the fact that some of these can be very messy and complicated and this is the opposite this one is going like it's it looks like it's just going to pass with flying colors there doesn't appear to be any anything holding up this merger from being rubber stamped at, at the end of all the the requisite procedures to go through in terms of Vince McMahon and the day-to-day it's interesting the fact that you know this the surgery kind of eliminates that question from having to be asked because he is on medical leave now and for the timeline of this the subpoena was issued on July 17th and it was just days later he had this spinal surgery now i imagine the surgery had been planned for a while um i don't think you're just uh, all of a sudden deciding to have spinal surgery but regardless that takes him away from his day-to-day duties and it makes you wonder like what um, what he is doing in in this point, like it's largely rehabilitating what sounds like extensive surgery that he had on it on his back. But there will come a time that you would think that he is going to be recovered. And then what what becomes of that? Does he just slide back into the role he's been assuming now that we are led to believe is largely coordinating the completion of this merger uh we know that he is you know overseeing certain degrees of creative and chiming in he has been at some shows but not all and what what his role is going to be long term uh, as well but the fact is this is this is very significant and and how far this goes with a with a grand jury investigation how long they've been working on this what they have found and you go back to those emails that had to be disclosed to the SEC last Christmas when Vince McMahon was trying to get back into the company and the board of directors initially 
stating they unanimously felt it would be the wrong choice to bring Vince McMahon back. And the fact that there is stuff that is not publicly known. I mean, there's, there's a lot here and this should not come as some left field surprise either. The fact that something like this was kind of going on behind the scenes when it seemed as though uh, the, the board members, at least around Christmas time, knew of the, the potential of more coming out and how damaging Vince McMahon returning to his executive chairman post could could threaten the company, even though that really did not materialize. He ended up being the significant factor in this in this merger with Endeavor and Ari Emanuel vouching for him. So we will continue to to monitor this. Again, me and Brandon Thurston went over this uh, quite extensively on the show earlier this afternoon that you can catch on the post-wrestling and WrestleNomics feeds. Um, beyond that, um, the other news today is that the Elite have re-signed with AEW. It was reported through uh, Justin Barrasso at SI.com and mentioned tonight on the show with Kenny Omega, the Young Bucks, and Hangman Page signing multi-year contracts with AEW. They have not specified how many years they are with the company, but it is multi-years, which for Kenny Omega will take him into his 40s. Matt Jackson is 38. Nick is 34. Hangman Page is only 32. And regardless, this is significant for AEW the fact that you have these four and that's on top of um, over the past year announcing extensions with John Moxley with Chris Jericho and it's it just eliminates that what if scenario of any if not all four of these going elsewhere so how important do you feel this was and the timing of having this as you're going into this big show and not waiting until a deadline and you know, having having fans wonder what would be the fate of these four. Mm-hmm. I think very. You know, um, I mean, for one thing, it it assures that they can be active participants in in ongoing storylines and maybe their roles. You know, and not to say that they would have been diminished if they were on their way way up, but um, I think it would at least maybe change the way that we would predict a lot of these storylines. Um, I don't know if this was personally for me ever really that much in question, especially considering all four of them were signing together. I'm sure, you know, WWE was going to move mountains to, to pro- probably make it possible um, because of just the huge blow that it would be, would be dealt to AEW. But um, I, I, it's hard for me to see, you know, mm, these four not being a part of this company, you know, that really very much shares, I think their DNA as part of its um, sort of roots. And I'm happy to see it. I think for all parties involved, I mean, they talked a whole lot about the schedule being, you know, a benefit to them and um, I completely understand it. So yeah, good for them. Yeah. What do you think about the the way they went about announcing the news? Like they chose to go through like SI.com. They provided quotes to them as opposed to this being something that they would have revealed on the show tonight, uh, for instance, and, and make it this like big moment on your 200th uh, episode, or do you feel it was fine the way they did it? Um, maybe there's a you know partial strategy in wanting to maybe catch headlines during work hours, you know, instead of um having it be maybe a story, um, or storyline on a TV show. Mm-hmm. Um, I I think it was perfectly fine, you know, the way they did it. We have uh. News to go over here with the G1 that um, – did you get to see any of uh, today's show? No, not today. No. Today was actually – Way and I did the show on a Tuesday, and it was it was a pretty dull show. I'm just going to mm-hmm. be honest. Today's show I, I thought was uh, one of the better G1 shows of the whole tournament. You had 
a pretty sizable upset with Alex Coughlin beating Hiroshi Tanahashi. Not the biggest upset, but regardless, it's a big win for Alex Coughlin. The next two matches were brutal with uh, Evil beating uh, or losing to Mikey Nichols and then Shane Haste and Toriano having just, um, I mean, Shane Haste wrestled with with a bucket over his head to give everyone a preview of that. So none of that was uh, all that great. But then it picked up. You had uh, Aaron Hanare and Tomohiro Ishii who had just a, the match you would envision these two having, they did for 14 and a half minutes and uh, Hanare getting the win. So uh, Ishii is right in the basement here. He is the rando bot of this year's G1 at one and five in the C block. Then Jeff Cobb and Hiroki Goto, they had a really nice match built around, you know, Goto's injured ribs and then using the, the Kaiten and the GTR to win the match. Tamatonga and Eddie Kingston, that was also very good with Kingston going over with the Northern Lights bomb. Uh, to me, um, my favorite match on the show was Tetsuya Naito and Zack Sabre Jr. I thought they just killed it. For 18 and a half minutes, you had Naito working on the uh, on the neck of Zack and Zack working on the arm of Naito. And this was, I think, Naito's best match of the tournament. And it was up there with Zack's as well. Maybe his best match, too. And then uh, Shingo Takagi beating David Finley to stay alive in the C block in the main event. So I, I would argue, like, the last five matches of the show, I thought were all great in... Uh, in their own respective ways. So we picked the wrong show this week to, uh, to review way uh, Tuesday. I can't, I can't say there was much to write home about on Tuesday show, but where does this leave everything? So in the a block, Sonata is on top with 12 points. And then we have Hikuleo, Kaito Kiyomiya, Shota Umino battling with six points and Gabe Kidd and Yoda Suji with five. We have Okada and Will Ospreay who are essentially fighting for the, uh, the one, two placement in the B block with Fantasmo, Taichi, and Tango Loa at six points, all with one match to go. So pretty much Fantasmo, Taichi, and Tango Loa, there's a way they can be mathematically alive, but I think everyone assumes it's going to be Okada in one spot, Osprey in the other. C-Block, there's a lot more parity. So you have David Finley, Evil, and Eddie Kingston with eight points. They're alive. And then you have Tamatonga and Shingo Takagi with seven points going into their respective matches. And then the D-Block... Jeff Cobb and Tetsuya Naito are tied with Zack Sabre Jr. with eight points. Hiroshi Tanahashi is out, I believe, based on his loss to Coughlin today. His last match is against Naito um, that will take place um, in the next set of uh, D-block matches. So you're coming down. Basically, it's a, it's a three-man race between Cobb, Naito, and Zack Sabre Jr. as we are past the midway point of the G1. And we are we have one round-robin match left for each of the blocks. And then it's playoff season which means playoff rules. The referees are going to let everything go. I feel like the whole G1 is playoff rules, isn't it? I think so. I think so. I don't think they've uh, they've developed a, a stern warning for uh, disqualifications of, of that uh, nature yet. But you can go check out uh, Eric Marcotte and Davey Portman with today's review. And then Karen and WH have you covered on Sunday for both shows taking place in Osaka over the weekend. Raw on Monday did a million seven hundred and fifty nine thousand viewers and a point five three in the demo down three percent in viewers down seven percent in eighteen to forty nine. Um, they were also down thirteen percent in eighteen to thirty four. Both SmackDown and Raw uh, were down by sizable amounts on Friday and Monday. Now, I don't really know what the reason was, but Raw was down forty one percent in viewers to one hundred and fifty five thousand five hundred, and then NXT on Tuesday did 717,000 viewers and a 0.23 in the demo, almost flat from last week. They were up 2% in viewers, identical in the demo. Uh, but female viewership was very strong. In 18 to 49, it was their best female audience since November of last year. So highest of the year. And 
I think some of that you would attribute to the fact that there is a steady stream of Dominic and Rhea Ripley on this show. And I think, quite honestly, other characters are starting to catch on. I think that this main roster involvement is spreading in terms of other other acts that are catching on. Like we saw last week, there was um, a spike towards the end of the uh, Cora Jade-Dana Brooke match. Uh, Santos Escobar showed up as a cameo or a mystery partner in the main event. And next week, they're doing Dominic defending the North American title against Dragon Lee, and Dragon Lee will have Rey Mysterio in its corner. So you will get the Dominic Ray program brought back to life on NXT. And that's probably going to do a big number for NXT, knowing the ratings pattern for Dominic and having something big like Ray involved as well. And the last ratings note was uh, the Bash at the Beach episode of Dark Side of the Ring doing 158,000 viewers, 0.05 in the demo. So this was down 15% from the Bam Bam Bigelow episode, but it was up slightly, 6% in the demo, sort of in the middle of what the Dark Side of the Ring episodes have been doing this season. The the high mark for uh, viewership thus far has been the Junkyard Dog. The doink was the highest in 18 to 49. So that is how things are working out. And next week is the season finale of Dark Side of the Ring. Where we will take things. Marty Janetti next week. I don't know. I don't know what to expect with that episode, but that's um, probably going to be nuts in in its own way. So there you have it. That is all your latest news. You can, of course, follow along at postwrestling.com and Andrew Thompson, Neil Flanagan. They always have you covered and we will have you covered uh, tonight with the double shot coming up after Dynamite, which took place from the Yingling Center in Tampa, Florida, a former home of the Thunderdome. That's right. One mm-hmm. of the uh, one of the many homes of uh, the Thunderdome back in the day. So we start things off, and it is the original set with the tunnels brought back. Mm-hmm. Very yeah. exciting stuff to have the tunnels back. And kicking things off, it is Judas that plays over the over the loudspeakers, and out comes Chris Jericho with Kanosuke Takeshita and Don Callis to take on JAS members Sammy Guevara and Daniel Garcia. And as they're making their way to the ring, we get clips of the formations of the inner circle back in October of 2019, and then the JAS coming together last year. And they mentioned the fact that Sammy Guevara was in the very first match on Dynamite against Cody Rhodes. And not shying away from that name either. So, Mm-mm, Not at all. Yeah, nice uh, tie-in with the first episode. Jericho and Garcia are in. Garcia's doing his dance, and Takeshita wants in. He wants to do the dance as well. So he does it and steps on top of Garcia for the pin. Uh, Callison trips Garcia, but they insinuate that Jericho didn't see Callis uh, trip Garcia and it's sort of a, that would play itself out throughout the match with Callis's involvement. Um, Some impressive stuff here. Guevara was in and hit a frog splash onto Takeshita. And then we saw Takeshita apply his version, the walls of Takeshita, but Guevara kicks him away. Guevara gets hit with a code breaker and then Garcia blocks a shooting star uh, or sorry, he blocks the Judas effect and Guevara goes to the top and hits Takeshita with a shooting star to the floor. And this is when Callus nails Daniel Garcia with the bat to break the Dragon Slayer, and Jericho sees this, and he looks stunned. He had that look on his face for a very long time, of it, where his jaw was on the floor at what Dawn had done. But in the end, he decides to go for the pin, and he pins his JAS teammate Daniel Garcia in 1221, but they explain how conflicted he looks, and Excalibur uh, notes how he chose the Don Callis family over the Jericho Appreciation Society. 
Mm-hmm. Though it wasn't an official sort of like defection, as we'll learn. Later. It was how Excalibur read it. But yeah, you have Jericho mm-hmm. still. He took the win, but is where are his loyalties? I thought it was a good match, and I thought um, it was a very effective job by Garcia and Guevara playing baby faces throughout. I think Garcia at this point really is already a baby face to the audience. The dance is so over. I think people just love his professional wrestling abilities, and I really think he's just ripe for that you know, official turn whenever they want to do it. Could be soon. I think um, Takeshita greatly benefits from being a regular tag partner with Chris Jericho, if that's what they're planning to do, to do at the end of all this. Um, and I thought they came up with a really great finish to showcase you know, Jericho's inner dilemma to carry through th- this story. I thought it was smart, and I especially love Don you know, casually kicking the bat behind him as he entered the ring clapping. So it's been really fun watching him possibly manipulate Jericho, or maybe it's Jericho manipulating him. Did you catch the part where they they were coming out, Callus with Jericho and Takeshita, and the flames are all going up, and mm-hmm. the announcers are like, "Oh, Don almost got nailed there." I was like, "Could you imagine this guy's luck if he got like Oof. burned?" Um, man's had a, a rough go of things, uh, health wise, in this company. So Tony Khan is on camera, and he refers to All In as the biggest wrestling show of all time and that would be a that's the tagline for the show that they are you know going to be utilizing for all in and he thanks the fans and the staff under under what what, which metric attendance they're just calling it the biggest like is there a legitimate claim to it being the biggest it it has the chance to be the largest verifiable attendance for a wrestling show in terms of paid attendance yes Right. Okay. So, so which current record holder is uh, WrestleMania 30, 32? So depending on your WrestleMania 3 in interpretation, which uh-huh. uh, people have pegged it anywhere from 79 to could it be into the 80s, but let's say 79,000. They are. And then WrestleMania 32, the turnstile count was 80,700 and some odd number. And they are approaching 76,000 tickets distributed. So they are closing in on these numbers. Now, there are the shows like the North Korean shows in 1995. There was, you know, a big stadium show in in Greece, um, you know, like decades and decades ago. Um, But this, uh, in terms of verifiable attendance, this could end up being, um, you know, WrestleMania 32 is the, the high mark. And they very well are expected to pass 80,000. Yeah, I believe I've even seen promos where like the they're 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 showing like the attendance numbers um increasing from like 70,000 over to like 80 something thousand so kind of really hedging their bets that they're going to go above that 80k mark. And uh if they're using this tagline, I think, you know, they they feel very confident. Mhm. Um yeah, and it 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 definitely is going to cause uh, outrage among some folks. So just just sit back and enjoy the bond. If you ever online. come this close, you know, why not? Like WWE has been playing the inflation game for their whole existence. Why wouldn't you do the same? Hey, there's there, there there's and going they're to not be, even inflating. They might have a little bit. It's not. And, and believe me, like today when WWE puts out their key performance indicators and you can see what the attendance was for WrestleMania this year. Guess what? It was not 161,000 like they announced. And right. you have, oh, it's, it, I mean, that that's the game. That's the game. And, I mean, and not bad for is, a second secondary promotion, eh? That's it. The, yeah. Did you see there was, yeah. We, so we got the secondary promotion line from Paul Levesque and then mm-hmm. 
Tony Khan's response today that we're not the secondary promotion in the UK and turned it into a plug for All In. So anyway, Tony Khan uh, throws to this great video package, and this pretty much encompasses all a lot of key highlight moments. You had, um, as Way mentioned, the tributes to Jay Briscoe and to John Huber, uh, Shaquille O'Neal, Sting's debut, the steel cage match with Britt Baker and Thunder Rosa. But there were plenty of clips of the parking lot brawl. And this was great because they were going to call back to it later. And I thought that was like really clever, the way that they reminded you of what was a pretty memorable match. But we've had tons of memorable matches on Dynamite. And the fact is they drew attention to this parking lot brawl. So it's top of mind when it gets called out later in our next match. Totally. Absolutely. Renee catches up with Jericho, but before he can speak, Matt Menard appears, and there's a mandatory meeting next week stating, Jericho, you have to attend, which thus is mandatory. Mm-hmm. Don't know if you had to clarify that, but the fact that the mandatory meeting, you you have to come to the mandatory meeting. Shivani brings out Jack Perry, who wants Jerry Lynn to come out for this face-to-face and take his ass kicking like a man. So Lynn walks out, and he's not going to come down to the ring because if I went after you, it would be child abuse. And due to the plates and screws in my neck, there is no doctor that would clear me. Sounds like a conversation they could have had last week before they held off for a week on this. Wouldn't you, th- wouldn't you think Jerry would bring that up last week? Was uh, he going to try and get cleared all week? Maybe he got checked midweek. Well, he's not going to take on Jack Perry, but a good friend of mine who used to wrestle in ECW and still happens to wrestle is here. And then Pantera hits and out comes Rob Van Dam to walk and this man walked down this Mm -hmm. aisle and uh here was our rob van dam coming out i mean dude this pantera song the fact that they went the extra mile to get pantera was a great added uh because honestly like him coming out to like his tna theme or you know Mm -hmm. just wouldn't have had the same at this point it's it's something that's kind of expected you know from tony khan if you have an identifiable song attached to yours uh, your career from either ECW or from the Indies, you might have a very good chance of getting it played uh, on national television. I mean, I really wasn't that into the idea of seeing any ex-ECW wrestler in a modern-day AEW setting, uh, especially in a match. But man, once you once that Pantera hit, okay, you got me. Like, sign me up for another round of ECW nostalgia, especially if the guy in charge has enough money to obtain the rights to actually get these entrance songs. I thought this was cool. And Jack Perry exits the ring and he walks off and RVD and Lynn are in the ring and Perry then goes to jump them and he gets, uh, you know, he flees the ring and then he goes and he hides behind a child in the front row and takes off. And we can uh, just skip to this part, though, because later in the show, Van Dam challenges Jack Perry for the FTW title. And that's going to happen next week in Columbus, Ohio. Mm hmm. Absolutely. Yeah, it was great. You know, I think he's RVD still looks in incredible shape, especially if you check out his Instagram in at 52. He really does look incredible. Moved while here, you know, delivering that kick. So this changed my mind. I'm into it. They note that tonight, Tony Storm and Hikaru Shida will be in the main event. And the anything goes match followed that with John Moxley, Trent Beretta and Penta. And what a, um, what a summation of uh, John Moxley's AEW career this match was to celebrate the last four years. So tr- we got trash can lids in here, a barbed wire two by four, thumbtacks. Uh, Trent was bleeding. I think he had like multiple wounds to his head. He was just leaking blood. 
Two tables get set up to the floor, on the floor, and this results in Trent, a man who had uh, reconstructive neck surgery, if, if you all remember that, and superplex John Moxley through both tables on the floor. We go through the picture-in-picture. Picture. Penta hits a destroyer off the turnbuckle, putting Trent, the man with the reconstructed neck, through a table with this destroyer. And then Moxley tackles Penta through another table, brings out the thumbtacks, rips off Penta's shirt, and we see Mox hitting a gotch-style pile driver to Penta onto the tacks, only gets a two-count. Then he lifts and just dumps Penta on these tacks. There's a cutter to Trent on the tacks, which Moxley took more of these tacks than the assailant taking the cutter here, which they noted. Trent gets up, hits a dude buster onto the tacks, and then Penta breaks it up with a trash can. All three fight on their feet, and there's a paradigm shift to Penta taking him out when Trent drills Moxley with the knee, sending Moxley away from the two, and with Penta still out from the paradigm shift, Trent rolls on top, and it is Trent that gets the win in 12 minutes and 28 seconds. This post-wrestling podcast is brought to you by NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. Financial literacy can be daunting, but it's one of the most valuable things you can equip yourself with. On NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast, their trusted financial journalists offer easily digestible, conversational discussions on topics like balancing your portfolio. If you think an ETF is one of Cena's five moves of doom, this show might be for you. Planning for your tax bills this April, so you don't have to worry about a visit from Erwin R. Scheister. And putting away more money for retirement. Because unlike most wrestlers at the end of their careers, most of us should only plan on retiring once. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast on your favorite podcast app. Future you will thank you. I thought these three put together uh, an outstandingly entertaining hardcore match. You know, it had that unpredictable, dangerous energy you get from all of these Mox weapons matches. He's a man who seems to make every no-DQ match feel somewhat special. Uh, I thought this had very satisfying table spots. It kept raising the stakes in terms of weapons here. With, you know, the barbed wire two by four alone, I thought was already like a really big one. But then, of course, you had to get the thumbtacks here, even though we're just two weeks removed from um, our last one. But it's a special edition of Dynamite. And I thought it was effectively used here. Every spot they did made you gasp. And all three of them seemed completely game to just, you know, just just take as much punishment as I think their bodies could handle. So it was dangerous, but really not to the point where I was overly concerned about their long-term safety, even the guy with the reconstructed neck. So I really enjoyed it. Mm-hmm. Um, very, very fitting here for the tribute to uh, Dynamite and some of their more extreme matches, for sure. Claudio and Yuta are coming through the crowd, and then Orange Cassidy and Chuck Taylor show up, so they're brawling around the ring. Trent dives to the floor, and then Taylor nails Claudio with a chair. There's an orange punch to Moxley, and Moxley sold this orange punch uh, very, very big. And Taylor challenges them to a parking lot fight back at Daly's place. So I'm imagining they're going to tape this to air on Rampage Friday night. Like, they're going to do it from Daly's place. Like a cinematic match, almost. Yeah, then just surround... Like, the last time, they just surrounded it with people. And I imagine they're just going to do the same deal here. And to be honest, if you're someone here in the arena, um, I guess that they'll they'll have to watch this. They won't get to see this. Yeah, and I, I guess... Um... I don't know if people there might have been confused because they heard Rampage and probably recognized that they were going to stay for a Rampage taping. But then they heard Daly's Place and maybe, you know, it was maybe a little too confusing to get any sort of real disappointment. I mean, um, you can't do a parking lot brawl in the inside the ring. So true, you got to do you're either watch you're watching it on a screen. 
Yeah. Regardless. But I, I, I thought it was like a really great, like special match that you're giving out on Rampage. I thought it certainly was an attempt to make, maybe make Rampage a bit more must see this week, you know, a Mox parking lot brawl match. Yeah, it it certainly makes you wonder what the status is of Santana. Like he's been out for he's been out since last year's blood and guts um, because like that was those were the opponents, Santana and Ortiz, and they might not be reuniting together. But you're doing this match and it's kind of AEW does these and it like instantly brings you back to that match. And to me, I just think like, what's the status of Santana and Ortiz as, as well of you know, bringing back this match that they are so associated with if there's, if, if it's a signal of them coming back at some point. FTR, um, they showed highlights beating MJF and Adam Cole, which uh, we went over the collision numbers with Brandon today, but a, a tremendous collision number on Saturday. And in particular, the last 30 minutes with this tag match were the, the big MVP match of the show as they did a point two seven on Saturday night, which was outstanding for for them to do. Renee is with RVD, and he makes the challenge to Jack Perry. He also brings up the fact that he has a history of inflating the value of many titles and then retiring them. I guess he's teasing like I'm going to win this and then get rid of this belt. Yeah, how is this really a babyface move? It didn't sound like. And then you have Taz, like, oh, all right, all right, he's going to be challenging for this. He's, he's going to retire my legacy, take yeah. my belt away from me. MJF comes out and he is received as a baby face and he is totally acting like one. And he tells the audience, reminding them that he has ADD and the crowd starts chanting ADD. He also has rejection sensitive disorder, RSD, where his brain cannot regulate rejection, which makes life hard for him and notes his upbringing being bullied, cheated, cheated on, beaten up. And he has blacked a lot of those memories out. But he remembers the traumatic incident as a child where these kids threw quarters at him, telling him, pick it up, Jew boy. And he still has nightmares about it. And he felt that in that moment, to get ahead in this world, you have to be a scumbag and stab others in the back before they stab you. And that is this man's upbringing. This is how he got to be the MJF that you that you loathe. And he now has realized that in becoming a scumbag, it's easy. It's easy to be a scumbag. It's easy to get people to boo you. It's hard to be vulnerable and open because of the fear that I would be booed and then be taken back to my time as a child. Well, I'm not scared anymore because of you, the people. And warns he's not going to be changing overnight because after all, I am a scumbag but I'm ready to be your scumbag. And this led to a chant and probably a t-shirt coming in the near future. And the person who taught him to trust and be vulnerable, one of the best wrestlers, one of the best people is his best friend, Adam Cole. And out comes Adam Cole with a double clothesline shirt and compliments MJF notes, the man that he is becoming. You're not alone. These people love you. And MJF brings up the title shot that was promised to you and says, you know, I've been thinking about it, Adam. I don't think you deserve a match. And everyone is booing and adam looks confused and he clarifies you don't deserve just any match you deserve the match the main event of all in august 27th hands him the contract adam cole signs and the two men i don't think this has ever happened where we have had the announcement of a main event stadium world title match followed by both men telling one another i love you and then <laughs> they hugged and that is our setup for all in 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, this was really outstanding. And I think, you know, you see this and you do have to ask, was this always the plan or did they realize this, you know, or did they listen to the audience who, you know, uh, a lot of people just were clamoring for this not to be over after this, you know, tag team title tournament and um, people wanting to see this pairing continue somehow. I don't know. But either way, I thought tonight was a really effective and creative way of carrying this program on. Um, I think Max's promo, he has a great understanding of what it means to be a heel, obviously, but I think he has just as great of an understanding of what it means to be a baby face. Cause I thought tonight you had a great sort of like diluting of like what, you know, what babyface psychology is, you know, he's not just, um, tonight, I think a great wrestling babyface, but you know, psychology of how any fictional villain or even hated celebrity could possibly turn the public's opinion around on them, admitting your faults, admitting your weaknesses, being vulnerable, being vulnerable. And, you know, I guess here coming up with an excuse for your super villain origin story where, uh, you know, a very innocent child was corrupted by several forces outside of his control, including ailments um, that he suffered and bullying. And I think everything about his actions tonight, I I felt were at once very genuine, but at the same time, still kind of dialed up to the point where you still have a lingering question of whether or not this is being set up for an eventual turn, because he he straddles that line really well. Where like you get you almost want to, you know, completely believe that he's genuine, but you because you know his true nature as this asshole, you're always just kind of waiting for him to turn and you can't completely trust him yet. But um I think that's exactly the intended sort of feeling that you're supposed to get. And I got it with him, and I got it from Adam Cole as well, because I think both of them were so like <laughs> lovey dovey with with each other that's so completely unlike them that you know one of these two is going to turn on the other and you're just kind of captivated because you're wondering at the end who it is who it's going to actually be i think they they have like a great sort of that exact thing that you have where it is the audience wanting to buy into this mjf turn but feeling that it would be so easy for him to just do the whole the greatest trick the devil ever uh taught deal again and i feel it would be really missing the boat if they went that direction and i think if cole if you do this right i think this will be an awesome awesome turn at at the end for adam cole the way that they can pull this off and somehow roderick strong playing a big role in however this goes down yeah his role in all this is um still very amusing to me you know like it seems like he might be turning heel coming out of this and they're certainly teasing like the kingdom reuniting with cole Mm-hmm. Oh, I didn't realize he was a part of the kingdom originally. I think that's, I mean, that's sort of the hint we got here, but uh, a great segment. And if the past month is any indication, this will probably do a really strong a quarter. This was also the crossover hour on top of it. So um, strong stuff. And we now have a match for all in as we are three and a half weeks out from the show. Is and this the, the main event, you think? Uh, they called it the main event. Okay, so. interesting. Well, what does that mean, though? You know, like well, is it ending the show? One of several main events, maybe. We'll see. And the graphic notes, it's on pay-per-view. They mentioned uh, Bleacher Report. And the Zero Hour will air at noon Eastern on August 27th. The pay-per-view at 1 Eastern. And yes, the tagline, the biggest event in wrestling history. 
Mm-hmm. There you have it. All the news is out there. And we go backstage and Roderick Strong is throwing a gasket in the neck brace. And this is when Taven and Mike Bennett show up and note how Adam Cole is always forgetting his real friends. Interesting. So I think all of this is uh, going to be tied in, in in some form or fashion. Kenny Omega in the Young Bucks against Jeff Jarrett, Jay Lethal, and Sutnam Singh in the weirdest match I can recall on Dynamite in quite some time. The best part of this—I love was, how Sutnam Singh can't even fit in the graphic. Look it's it's great. It's great. You you don't uh, you don't need to fit into the graphic when you're Sutnam Singh. They disposed of Omega and the Bucks, and then the three of them did the elite pose with <laughs> Sutnam Singh putting the gun in the air and Jarrett and Lethal doing the Young Bucks pose. I mean, t- if we could just show this visual to people in 2019 of what is to come in AEW, I mean, could you have imagined um, such a such a scene? So they're working on Nick. Then they they land super kicks and a V trigger onto Singh. Uh, Karen Jarrett is distracting uh, Rick Knox. So Omega. <laughs> Tries to lift up Sutnam Singh for the one-winged angel. You knew you weren't going to see that one. Duck comes in to stop him. Leads to a lethal combination. Then Brandon Cutler sprays Karen in the face. And Dutt attacks Cutler. The Hardys run down, attacking Sanjay Dutt with a twist of fate by Jeff. Jeff gets the guitar, misses Omega as Hangman appears. I think we're up to about 18 run-ins here. And Hangman hits Jarrett with the buckshot lariat. And then there's a V-trigger to lethal. Omega plays the guitar and hits the one-winged angel, pinning Jay Lethal in nine minutes. I thought this was a really fun match. You know, I think Jarrett Lethal and Sutton are one of the big surprise successes of AEW. And if we got our ECW tribute earlier, this was our tribute to TNA with uh, tons of run-ins and uh, crazy um, involvement with guitars and weapons and everything else in between. I guess so, but it wasn't negative to me the way like a lot of those run-ins in TNA were. Like I, I felt every every running was effect- effectively used and just kind of made you you know think twice about the finish here. I thought they this this faction has really figured out its role on these cards as sort of like you know upper mid card guys who often take part in some comedy and i thought they made it for a perfect pairing for a tv match for the elite you got some comedy bits i thought the elite made incredible use of Sutton singh's size here at once you know giving him the spotlight while also protecting him and showcasing you know the the, the incredibly impressive um sort of stature of the guy so i thought it was a very effective match are we ever going to see kenny omega against Sutton singh uh, I would love to see it. Yeah, I feel Kenny would love to do that match. Sure. Yeah, I think it'd be a lot of fun. Omega passes the microphone over to Hangman Page, and he notes that the four of them have re-signed. Here's to the next 200 episodes. And Omega says that whether it's Dynamite, Ring of Honor, Rampage, or heck, even Collision, you'll be seeing a lot of us. So I, I don't want to hear. I don't want to hear anything from fans of like. Why, why are you trying to force this, this punk thing? It's like, give me a break here. Okay. Cause they're, they're playing, they're playing this game just as much as all of the fans online are uh, talking about this. It's thing the best built long-term program, I think in pro wrestling. Yes. Well, it's, it's like this idea of like, just, it's not going to happen. So why is everyone so focused on this? It's like, well, they're, they're playing into it as well and leading mm-hmm. you in that direction. The Mogul Embassy. Okay, this segment was something else. So we have Swerve with AR Fox and Prince Nana, and they recap their attack last week on Darby and Nick Wayne, and Fox asks, the culprit of every wrestling turn, the dreaded lack of a phone call. (laughs) 
why you didn't call me Darby for five years after you signed with AEW after all <laughs> I did for you, which I mean, that's five years, a long time. Yeah. Maybe, maybe AR Fox, AR Fox didn't have like a texting plan. And uh, Darby also doesn't seem like a, like an iPhone guy. Like he seems like, I a, mean, you know, how, how did it, it AEW, has AEW been around for five years already? Wow. Well, almost five. Well, then AR Fox, yeah. So it wasn't exactly five, and AR Fox was there um, for a good chunk of it. So maybe it's more like four. It's taken him okay. a year to uh, uh, doing dark matches and then getting signed. <laughs> so he says he's going to take everything that he gave Darby, and Nana says you're going to pay it back in blood, which was quite the foretelling of what we were about to see. As Swerve throws to his latest video, and we go to the Buddy Wayne Wrestling Academy, and they walk in to the gym. <laughs> And go, what up, turds? And they attack Nick Wayne and the other kids training. And they beat the piss out of Nick Wayne, including breaking a framed photo of Nick with his late father, Buddy, over Nick's head. And dude, this guy just bled like you would not believe. Like, this man looks like a corpse here in this ring. And they and stayed- this was the, um, I guess, the uh, tank top that Nana was holding up in the earlier segment. Right, because they throw to the video, so the mm-hmm. promo would have been done in advance. So he's just laying there, huge blood, and they decide we're going to call Darby. So they, tick, they take Nick Wayne's phone, but in an attention to detail that I think is officially overthinking it. I don't even phone. know. I don't even know if this was so much attention to detail as like maybe a, a bit of a like an error that they forgot. You know, like the oh, he's we forgot to unlock his phone before filming this segment because this whole thing very imagine it had the voice recognition and they could have avoided this and uh, <laughs> or the the facial recognition. Oh yeah, I don't know if you'd recognize somebody with all that blood on your face, but might have been tough. Very impressively, this entire thing was a one take, and they weren't going to get many more takes. You know, just given the blood blade job and the glass and and everything. Um, so if it was quick thinking on Swerve's feet, it, it was done very well. Yeah. So as the man is bleeding to death, he manages to put in his four digit iPhone code. <laughs> yeah. They call Darby now. <laughs> I'm just going to say this angle, would you not FaceTime the person so he could see Nick Wayne? Yeah. Like they call him yeah. on speakerphone, which yeah. to me lessens the impact. It's like, hey, Nick, this isn't Nick. This is AR Fox. <laughs> and yeah. He notes uh, Swerve gets on. Dude, and Swerve was like the ultimate movie villain here. He mm-hmm. calls them the ghosts of Darby's past. And this is just the beginning. Mogul embassy forever um this was an awesome angle like a tremendous tremendous angle that they did and um yeah i just thought man it was a super violent angle and a lot of blood this was was one match this was one segment where someone did outbleed john moxley uh who Mm -hmm. was in a hardcore match on the same show yeah i thought this was fantastic i think swerve's entire demeanor as a heel has been you know super villain straight out of the movie and this scene completely had that vibe he called it as as much um, again, very impressive that it was all done in this one take. And I think that, you know, that requires a great deal of planning and, and just, you know, I'm sure rehearsal before actually going through it. But everything about it was so well crafted and so well performed. I think they found, you know, pretty, 
pretty solid personal justified motivation for Air Fox for the heel turn. And I think it makes somebody as it makes sense that somebody as sadistic and maybe opportunistic as Swerve, um, that he would take advantage of that to, you know, further his own feud with Darby Allen here. I'm really glad that Swerve and the Mogul Embassy finally have like a really juicy story that seems to be taking place on Dynamite and not just on Rampage. Um, it's been a great way to, you know, further Swerve as like a big time villain on the show. And it's been an outstanding way so far to get AR Fox and Nick Wayne integrated into a relevant story on Dynamite. Yeah. I just wonder how many friends are out there that I have not called in five years minimum. I mean, there's no, no shortage. Well, I don't keep up with a lot of people. So you should, you should make some calls or lock my door. Aussie Open against El Hijo Del Vikingo and Commander for the ROH Tag Tales. One of the things I like the most about the show is that every match felt like it was like a slice of AEW. Like there was, you know, this wild tag match. It was like your Young Bucks style match. We had a, we, we had the crazy hardcore match. We had your, your Jericho kind of story driven match. Like it were, and it was a lot of like your, it was just like, very different flavors throughout the show. Like I thought this, like Dino AEW typically, like their shows, like it's a mash, a mashup of all these different characters and styles. But I thought this show really honed in on that, that theme of just all these like distinct five matches. Yeah. Yeah. I got that sense too. Sure. So commander and Vikingo, they're in, they're in matching blue and black attire. And, uh, th- this was great for the 10 minutes that they had here. I mean, sometimes you can see commander where he is like, you know, it, like he has his hits and misses, but him and Vikingo together, like they were pretty on in this match. We saw uh commander come off the shoulders of Vikingo into a Rana onto Davis. Then commander did the spot where he's like laying on the top rope. And Fletcher runs at him, and he just, like, rotates himself under the top rope. So Fletcher flies over the top. I have never seen that before. There are dives on opposite ends, and Ozzy Open catch both of them on the floor and run them into each other. Vikingo then comes off the top into super kicks. Davis then lifts Vikingo, and Commander leaps off Vikingo into a destroyer onto Kyle Fletcher. We get uh, a... Double, uh, double rope walk into moonsaults on Aussie open on the floor. And then they set up for the double 450. Remember when Omega and, uh, Kotobushi did this the, move? The golden shower. Yeah. Not called that on, on TBS. They've come very far with their violence. I don't think they're calling a move the golden shower. That's my thought. And then Davis avoids the rope walk shooting star from commander, double lariats and Coriolis for the win in nine minutes and 50 seconds. <laughs> This is where we are at because if this match aired on television, I would say 10 years ago, I think we would have been just like in awe of this match for like the next month. Um, this was an incredible television match. I had so much fun watching it. And, um, yeah, I, I don't know if it'll be remembered tomorrow, but it was, it was just excellent. It was amazing. Yeah. I mean, I've seen Commander and Vikingo tag before, but I don't know if I've seen them ever be presented as this like cohesive of a tag team as tonight. Color they had matching gear and some incredible breath, like breathtaking, breathtasty double team moves here. You know, I do feel like this might be like a concerted effort to like start pushing these two as a tag team on, on dynamite. I could see that 
I do think there's like a ceiling to how far you might be able to push them as singles on an English speaking TV show. I mean, simply look at like, you know, Penta and, and Phoenix and maybe I think you're going to see this program continue in ROH. I think that's where this is probably going to be. Great. But I mean, I, I watch Vikingo and, and I'd add Commander too. And I just like, here are two like fresh stars to your US audience that I would just. Like there's especially Vikingo, like he's so unique. Like you cannot replicate this guy and just have a dozen of these guys. And to have him on your show, uh, to me, like he is one of the more valuable parts that I would not be just keeping to ROH and to their credit. Like they have been showcasing him quite a bit on AEW and not just bring him on. Yeah. But I mean, have they ever really been showcasing him in any sort of significant role? Well, there's the limitations, right? When he's not your contractual talent as as well but i'd go as far as to say like any sort of like you know luchador you know how many of them have they actually told stories with um showing us video packages of you know like in the way that we've gotten nick nick wayne introduced on on a show like this there's clearly still like very much a, a like a language barrier that's holding a lot of these guys back but you in wrestling you don't need to speak english in order to get over clearly like just look at Look at this match. I I just wish that there was a bit more sort of like AEW produced video support, or at least like some effort, in, you know, to to actually tell some stories with these guys. They recap CM Punk revealing his title on Saturday night, and then they're promoting that CM Punk will defend the real championship against Ricky Starks with Ricky Steamboat as the referee on Saturday on Collision. Now, if you're introducing this, this guy pulls a title out of his bag, and now yeah. the company is acknowledging it as the real world championship and promoting it. Like, doesn't this require some kind of explanation from like a Tony Khan of, okay, this guy claims to be the champion, but that's, that's not how this stuff works. Well, um, maybe the explanation is that punk had this okayed with Tony Khan. They didn't say that though. Well, what's MJF? Then MJF is not the champion. Yeah. I mean, the whole thing is, it requires a great deal of suspension of disbelief and also like, I don't know any sort of like idea that, um, uh, this this is a real sport um or at least the asterisk that, like, excalibur is like this is not recognized by aew but cm punk is the self-proclaimed real world champion there's none of that they're like this guy's the real world champion i mean it's fine but at what point do we complain that they're overthinking it the way that they might overthink you know the invisible camera type of thing you know we know I what- think this is a glaring one when you're promoting like this title that's just come out of nowhere and we're acknowledging it's a it's a world championship I mean, that's subjective. You know, it might be like an issue for you, but maybe it's it, to be honest, it's not that big of an issue for me. Like I, I we all know what this is. This is the collision championship. You know, they they essentially have done what WWE has done and, and that split the world championships. Um, and I'm OK with it. Like it gives, you know, CM Punk, it, it puts a belt on Punk and it gives collision maybe a world a title match that it can promote. My my other question is though, how did like Tony Schiavone know that Ricky Steamboat was going to be a part of this impromptu like match that was just announced? Uh, with, with Ricky Steamboat, yeah, like because Shivani was the one who to announce Ricky Steamboat's name in oh, ring on Collision. Yeah, on Collision. Oh, how he knew? Um, I guess he was he was. Uh... Starks yeah, came that's a good out point because it was Starks came out to issue the challenge, and CM Punk did say, "I did, I did 
think that this is how he said something to the effect, but you're right. Like he, okay. He, so he told Shivani beforehand, Hey, Starks is probably going to, Starks is probably going to challenge me. So I've already hired Ricky Steamboat to be the referee next so, week. Cause I'm going to goad him into accepting my challenge. And um, that was probably after he went to Tony Khan to, you know, grant powers to this real world championship. And thus Tony Khan gave him his blessing to defend this title on the yeah. show. Oh, see, it all makes sense off screen. Okay. It's a, it's, it's a lot. FTR against Brian Cage and Big Bill, Chris Statlander versus Mercedes Martinez, and the acclaimed will speak on the show. Tony Storm against Akaru Shida. That is your main event for Dynamite 200. Shida is, uh, she gets tossed to the floor and she's being attacked by Soraya and Ruby. We go through picture and picture. Storm is in control. And then Ruby gets involved behind Paul Turner's back and Storm hits the hip attack and a DDT. They're trading strikes. And Tony Schiavone says that Tony Khan has stated we will stick with this match up until the 60 minute time limit meaning we will we could go 49 minutes over the hour based on yeah. the timing of Tony Schiavone's announcement here i didn't think that was going to happen i don't think we're going to a draw with these two no but, but they, do, they did do an overrun they did do an overrun uh they did you're right so but i do like the fact that they they do at least feed you the possibility maybe one day they'll actually do it this is the first step to a three-hour dynamite they're teasing yeah. you with the idea mm-hmm. Sheeta hits a jumping knee falcon arrow for a two count and then it be aw they're pretty good at these when it comes to someone you are just assuming is going to lose and giving like these incredible near falls for the person you're assuming is going to win in this case tony storm you have soraya slide the kendo stick in and they have a tug of war and Sheeta grabs the kendo stick but she won't use it knowing she'll get disqualified so then as the referee takes the kendo stick ruby nails her or sorry it's Sheeta that nails ruby and soraya on the apron with the kendo stick then the referee takes the stick and this allows tony storm to spray paint Hikaru Shida in the eyes and hit the storm zero. Everyone thinks it's over and Shida kicks out from the spray paint and the storm zero. And with that, there's a sunset flip attempt and Shida blocks hooking the legs and pins the champion in 13 minutes and 16 seconds as Tony Storm wins the title. The pandemic champion that lost the title right after they returned to crowds. And now she gets her big title win in front of real people in Florida, no less that's right yeah yeah i mean i i i would say it was a surprise for me you know to see Sheeta with the championship and i think maybe knowing that um i do wonder if this was always the plan or if it was a, a result of maybe jamie Hayter not necessarily get, getting clearance to clearance to return it all in um i i do feel like the run was a little bit rushed because i don't know if you've had any hikaru Shida presence on dynamite in the build-up to this moment but you know again if it was sort of like a sort of a bit of a last minute push then i completely understand it and i thought it made for maybe a great surprise win because i don't know how many people would have seen it coming yeah i think i think you got like a, a surprise um in terms of like where it goes from here i i think that's one of the the criticisms you have right now is that like there's just so many of these programs that you you don't know what the destination is and it's clearly a rematch right um you would think um but I don't know. I, I don't know if you if you do something like with Soraya going for the title in England, if that makes more mm-hmm. sense. And Tony Storm has to step aside for that pay-per-view. Um, that could be the direction, Sheeta and Soraya. Could be, yeah. Um, yeah, I thought, the, uh, to be honest, I thought the match was just okay. Um, and I I don't know if the in-ring maybe lived up to sort of like 
everything that we had seen on the show up until this point. Uh, but I do hope that uh, if given a rematch on a bigger stage, maybe with more time, these two will be able to, you know, achieve something that much more special tonight felt like a good way to maybe start off the program. So, um, I thought this was a really good edition of Dynamite, you know, uh, felt like hit all the buttons um, that I think you needed to make this feel at once nostalgic and, and special. And more importantly, it delivered some really fantastic pro wrestling and gave you at least a, one big announcement for AW All In. Yes, yes. You have uh, you have three weeks to get the rest of uh, everything together. But yeah, I enjoyed the show quite a lot. I thought this, this two hours was a very easy watch. The, the matches were all uh, very different. And for a show that was kind of, you know, looking at your, your 200th episode, I thought it was, you know, putting your emphasis on a lot of your your long term AEW stars while also building up quite a bit. And yeah, overall, I thought it was a, a very enjoyable show on Wednesday. Let's uh, take some super chats and go to the forum, and then we're going to be jumping on over to postwrestlingcafe.com for the double shot. Do you want to kick things off? Yeah, let's go to forum.postwrestling.com for some of your feedback, and we start things off with Andrew from Cape Breton, who says, Does anyone remember how a few months ago Jeff Jarrett lost a loser, leaves AEW match against Mark Briscoe, and then just randomly started showing up again? Um, no, that was – that yeah. was – um wasn't that a deal where it was like that that ended up that was not one of the the steps that they attached to the match i think it was like some online promo i'm trying to remember this was only a few weeks ago it was like some online promo and then they deleted that aspect of it it was not part of the match that it was it was just the concession stamp brawl okay i actually don't remember it he says okay. he also says um blah 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 but okay uh, it does feel AEW is, is getting a bit sloppy sometimes with continuity. One thing I will disagree with you guys on, though, is mentioning the camera when doing on-site vignettes. I know it may, it may get old always hearing of it, but I think it does a good job of establishing their ability to do these outside vignettes without having to wonder why people are planning a bank robbery in front of millions of people. I still don't like how we don't have that many matches for All In, but I feel that might make... They might want to make a lot of those matches on collision, especially with Kenny's tease of showing up there. Maybe they want to have a newsworthy episode considering they are going up against SummerSlam. Lastly, for the first time since the debut of the Outcast, their House of Torture-esque shenanigans seem to add to the finish of the match instead of take away from it. Mm. I mean, it's for, for the like, this is like what we talk about with like the evil matches when you have the big match where it's the babyface overcoming all of it. Like that, that turns out to be great, but it is, it's kind of grating when it is week after week after week of the opposite that you can argue is building that heat. But I, I would argue that it's, um, it, it does more, I think, to take people out rather than get them really invested. And for tonight, yeah, great. You get the baby face win, but I mean, we've been going through months of the same formula and it's the same thing with evil matches. Anyway. Yeah. Everyone has their different tastes. Steve grows weed. I don't like the punk is doing this real world champion crap, especially when the actual champion isn't addressing him at all. It makes him seem second rate. Plus, it's starting to feel like more of a brand split than WWE. Do you think it takes away from the actual championship? Does punk have his own show with a clear separation from the rest of the show? It feels awkward. To Does it feel awkward to anyone else? Well, I think if it does, I think they're, they want you to know that this is like this, this separation of punk from the elite. I mean, they're... They're shining a spotlight on that fact that it's it's like the the unspoken um, separation. Mm-hmm. It's not a brand split. It's a personality split. Yeah. And does it take away from MJF being champion? Mm. Um, 
I don't have as much of a problem with it, to be honest, just because I think Punk in this situation does have legitimate claim to, you know, never to having never been defeated. And I think even before WWE and their brand split, you've had this sort of like illegitimate champion, like, you know, wanting to defend the belt. I mean, like going back to like forever. So um, it, it, it more importantly, I, I think Collision needs it, you know, um, so I I don't dislike it. I I don't have those same criticisms. Uh and I think MJF and Punk is probably going to be the program you're gonna get right after Cole. Um and you'll probably have MJF cut a big promo about it soon enough. So they're probably just making you wait for it. At least that's what I think. Uh, Muggin says DMX once said trust everyone to be themselves, but trust in the fact that you can see them well. When MJF when MJF started telling that ADD story and Adam started to go to the ring, I thought, here we go again, until the rematch was made for Wembley. I can't help but wonder when the other shoe is going to drop. Seeing Roddy flip out, flip out backstage with the kingdom remarking about Adam's track record with friendship was an ironic touch. For once, the outcast tomfoolery backfired and Hikaru Shida became women's champion once again. I love that for her. All right, we go to Jomo. I'm a DDT watcher, and Takeshita just brought his leather jacket-wearing heel character to Sumo and Core Q and Hall last week, and it works, like it did tonight. I thought he was a good avatar for Callus getting booze, and he picked up on the mock dancing and cocky pin quick. Sammy played a great flashy babyface, while Garcia was a great babyface in peril. And while I know that the Jericho Jericho-verse gets criticized, I still don't think anyone has done it as good as Chris Jericho for as long. Jack Perry grabbing a child to put between himself and RVD is already enough for me to declare this heel turn a success. Seeing the Young Bucks fly around Jay Lethal and Karen Jarrett interfering in a Jeff match had the right mix of 2016 ROH and 2011 TNA, coupled with the AEW presentation, gave me some weird nostalgia. It was also my favorite match of the show, as I found it the most fun, but the three-way and main event were killer as well. All right, let's go to Jordan from the Bronx, finally, who says, is AEW going with the two-world title system by having the world champion and the real-world champion go forward without addressing each other? I hope that I'm wrong and that a unification match is booked for All Out. The collision graphic seems to legitimize the CM Punk belt as its, as its own championship. I, I think that that's a very, you know, possible, if not likely, direction for All Out. So I love the direction of the Mogul Embassy with Darby and Nick Wayne. They built a lot up with Nick and Aaron Fox in a short amount of time, while also giving more character development for Darby and Swerve. Very surprised with the Sheeta title win. It sounds like Tony listened to the criticisms and decided to answer them. The follow-up will be key. Do you think Sheeta gets Soraya or Britt Baker heading into the pay-per-view weeks? Um, it could be both. You could do one one week and one the other. Uh, yeah. I think Soraya makes the most sense for Wembley. I... Uh, it depends if they're confident enough in Soraya doing a singles match on a stage like that. You know, I I have more trust in uh, Tony Storm, mm. but Soraya is, is a bigger name, sure. I also don't know, like you know, if Tony necessarily listened and answered to criticisms. Like, did that have some influence in putting this into the main event? Possibly, but it's not like, I mean, it was still one women's match on the show, so I. The criticisms are, are, I think, a lot more than just, you know, have the women in the main event. It's to have more time and more stories for the women in general. All right. Thanks, everyone, for the feedback tonight. The show continues over at the Post Wrestling Cafe, so you can jump on there. We will be up in just a couple of minutes going through the Bash at the Beach 2000 episode of Dark Side of the Ring. So 
Uh, coming up this weekend, uh, the Post Wrestling Cafe is the best place to follow us for multiple shows coming your way. We will have a show up on Friday night. We will also have Collision Course with Kate and Nate, and as well, a G1 show with Karen Peterson and WH Park on Sunday. So look forward to that. We will be up on Saturday night with SummerSlam. That will be available for everyone here on the Post YouTube channel late Saturday night going through SummerSlam uh, once we get back from Ford Field, which is going to be, could be a mess. Who knows? Yeah, it could be a bit of a chart. Yeah. Okay. That's it for us. We'll speak with you on the cafe.